The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right. Welcome, viewers, listeners, and fans of The Influencers Edge. You know, we always do our best here to bring people on the cutting edge, guests who are fascinating. And today's guest certainly embodies all of that. This is going to be one of my favorite episodes, and you're going to want to listen to and or watch it multiple times. We have with us Robin Tree. Now, Robin, we were talking a little bit uh, just before we went on the air. Robin's an interesting cat. I'm just going to read a little bit from his very extensive biography, if that's okay with you. Okay. Enjoy. (laughs) Robin is an accomplished executive coach, great, best-selling author, even better, and professional speaker, really amazing, with an impressive background as a Marine Corps officer. Thank you for your service. I appreciate it. My dad was a combat medic in World War II, fighting the Nazis. Wow. Yeah. Tough job. All right. And... He is a retired FBI special agent. He served as chief of the counterintelligence behavioral analysis program. Can you unpack that a little bit? So uh, what is the behavioral analysis program? It's, uh, it's what I got to do because I failed at being an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a slippery answer, but you, 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 you no, appreciate it. It's because it's, it's not a... It's, you know, when you do anything for a job and you do it and get the reps in, it just because it becomes something else you do. And but it was it was fun. You know what my job mostly was in that role was strategizing human engagements. And when I was leading the team, it's strategizing human engagements and kind of putting the team together to strategize human engagements. The human engagements I generally strategize were. Recruitment operations of spies, confidential human sources, double agent operations, false flag operations, undercover operations, whoa, whoa, all the movies, whoa, 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 spy whoa. stuff. Every one of those is a teenage kid. I'm not a teenager. Well, maybe mm-hmm. inside is a teenager's wet dream. So let's let's back up. Say each one of those one by one. What did you do? So majority of my cases that I strategize, and so I had a team across the country because we're all case agents that are working counterintelligence operations. And we had one focal point of either single point of success or failure, which was me and and my person that worked with me. And when we had a case agent that worked counterintelligence somewhere in the country, they would contact us if they had a case that was requiring a little more effort with. 
And those types of cases that we were called in on were typically first was generally recruitment operations. And this is where you're trying to recruit a foreign intelligence officer. Some people call them spies, but or deep sources, double agents, whatever you want to call it. But generally, you're trying to recruit a foreign intelligence officer that's working on behalf of either China, Russia, or any other nefarious actors out there. Other cases we're called in on were double agent operations where it's an individual that has been co-opted by one of these foreign intelligence officers or a case that you wanted to insert a double agent in the line of fire of one of these spies. Can you unpack? I want to hear your yeah. answer. Can you unpack what a double agent is? This is all James Bond shit. I yeah. love it. So there's, a, there's two... It really depends on the organization you work for because every organization kind of will define them slightly differently. So for us in the FBI, we basically work two different levels of double agents. The highest level of double agent were the ones that were actually working on behalf of the Russians or Chinese or someone like that at the highest level. These people were individuals that were U.S. persons of some sort that had access to critical infrastructure information. And they were supposedly working, I say supposedly, I'll unpack in a second, working on behalf of the Russians. So say we had a case that we had someone at a like an Air Force base, uh, some officer or some enlisted that was working on an Air Force base that had access to classified information. The Russians thought that this person was recruited and was one of theirs, and they would do all kinds of the high-level covert operations where they only met twice a year. A lot of most times you met outside of our country, a lot of times like Mexico City or some other third country, they would bring with them, and I use my fingers like this, like secretly secreted information on like thumb drives or, or microfiche film, you know, all the secret spy stuff. They might put it in some sort of secret device and they do it outside the country. Sometimes, like when I was in New York working this, we actually had double agents that would travel to New York City. And it was serviced by the Russian establishment there, the intelligence officers. And these individuals would come in and they would mark a signal on the back of a sign or a telephone pole or leave an oil can on the side of the road or something. The Russian would see that thing that was that the, their agents in town. They had then load a site with like a fake rock or something made out of plaster or whatever it was to leave them cash, instructions and all these things in one site. And then our our double agent or the or the Russians thought was worth working on their behalf would leave their information in another site. So the double agent part was the fact that the Russians or the bad guys thought the person was working for them secretly. In reality, they were working for us, feeding the Russians information that we wanted them to have. Freaking incredible stuff! I love this stuff, and you're talking about it so matter of factly that like I did a lot. <laughs> By the way, what was your your security clearance must have been beyond top secret. It must have because you had information that would damage national security permanently. Yeah. So you have you have the you have top secret TS, which I had, and then you have all the letters and acronyms after it, SCI, I mean JKL. I mean, I have no idea. I had I had them all. <laughs> Whatever those are. Um I wasn't on this, I wasn't on the one issuing the security clearance. I was just on the receiving end. So I because you don't wear what your security clearance is on a badge. Um, you just have it on the badge when you're coding things and stuff like that. So I was polygraphed every five years, if not more often, depending on the case I might've been working on and that kind of now stuff. Now, my friend Chase Hughes, who we both know, you know Chase quite well, says yep. the polygraph is, is strictly hokey. It's, um, 
I don't want to get into that. I shouldn't have brought that up. It's, no, it's okay. It's, no, I, I'm I'm with you entirely on that. It's a prop. You know, a great interviewer uses a polygraph or a great polygrapher uses the polygraph machine as a prop to inspire someone to tell the truth. Um, it can measure because what the polygraph does, it measures differences in stimulus to words and phrases and questions people ask and it measures physiological responses to those questions. And so if you have a psychopath on there that doesn't respond emotionally to anything they're asked, they're going to flat, they're going to flat lime and have no response and be, I would, they'd be inconclusive most likely. Um, so it's, it's a great prop. So a great interviewer will have a great interview and get the truth no matter what. Let's talk a little bit more. And then I want to get into what you do and, and a little, what I see is a little bit of a misalignment. And I want you to correct me on this between what you're currently teaching executives and, and high level business people and what you did as a, I guess, spy. Is it okay to call you a spy? Yeah, I wasn't a spy. I was a spy recruiter. Spy <laughs> recruiter. All right. Um, and you also did um, behavioral assessment. Can you talk a little bit about behavioral assessment and how that maps over to what you're doing today? So everything's behavioral assessment. You know, when we were running the team, it was assessing the individual, the human being you're going to strategize an encounter with. And what behavioral assessment is when you really break it down, it's art. When you're, and here's what I mean. So if you're going to paint a beautiful portrait you want to know the medium in which you're going to paint it on. You're going to use the paints that you're going to use. You want to know the subject matter. You're going to have one of the skills and talent to put that together. You want to have reps, repetitions of having done that. And so behavioral assessment is the same thing. You're assessing the human being that you're going to have a engagement with, whether you know through some sort of interaction, human interaction, and you want to put together the most beautiful, crafted, engagement just for them to inspire them to do the number one thing you need in any human interaction to inspire influence or persuasion that is trust because no one's going to take any action with you for you share information unless they trust you and what's the bedrock of trust is can you make them feel safe and so making someone inspiring someone is because making is about me inspiration has to come from within to inspire someone from within themselves to feel safe with you that requires a lot, a lot of reps and artwork of dialogue, communication, watching their behaviors. So behavioral assessment is taking a look at you and assessing what do you need from me to feel safe? Now, this seems to me like it would be a really, really finely honed art and particularly challenging if you're dealing with someone who's under arrest or is in an interrogation room. Um, you did that sort of thing if you did interrogations, correct? Yes-ish. So if you're working espionage cases and, and you're going to arrest someone or interview people that are under arrest, yeah, you're going to do an interview. And it's more of a – it's same strategies and techniques. That becomes more tactical as uh, Chris Voss in, in, uh, in Never Split the Difference mentions. He has tactical empathy and strategic this yeah. and tactical yeah. that. When you're recruiting a human being where you're trying to identify a problem, challenge, or pain point in their life, and you're trying to inspire trust, it's these things happen over time. And time is not transactional. Time is something that you're going to vest in mutually together for well, these 
well, that's great. You got to say time is not transactional. That is brilliant. Time is something. In my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, unpack the see, You notice how I don't go, uh, I don't read the biography and then jump into the questions. Biography inspires me if it's interesting. Yours is effing interesting. So let's talk, talk about that, that it's not transactional. I know, I know what that means, I think, but could you unpack that for my audience, please? Yeah, sure. A lot of times people, whether you're in business or in an interview room or dealing with a neighbor, sometimes neighbors, people- Or on a date. Or on a date. A first date where you don't want it to go to a second date or, or not beyond that, or even if it's just a first date, but you're only focusing on right now. So if you're focusing on right now and an outcome for right now and only now, which is a great way to be because it means you're being present potentially, but it's very transactional. In other words, you don't see this going further than this one interaction. So you walk into a supermarket and you want to buy a carton of milk. That's a transaction. You walk into a, uh, an automobile dealership, you want to buy a car and never walk in that place again. That's a transaction. Yep. Meanwhile, people that focus on a sustained relationship, building a reputation, building upon a un deeper understanding of you, where they'll now that they know what that deeper need is, the challenges and pain points that you're dealing with in life, they'll proactively reach out to be a resource for you. So it's moving beyond the, the strategic and tactical of now and thinking long term, how can we create and foster that? Because the greatest thing we can have in any industry, whether it is sales and business or recruiting spies, is a great um, referral network. <laughs> because if you don't have a great brand people want, no one's going to go back. extraordinarily true. And this seems to me to require a lot of patience, a lot of patience. Huge. And patience, as well as the ability to be as patient or lack of patience as the individual you're engaging with. Because part of this art form is reading the tempo of that person you're working with. Brilliantly said. I agree. And, that, and now, and I'm, I'm going to add one more thing to that too. The challenge lies now in, in the balance because you now become the single point of success. We'll look at glass half full, not a single point of failure, but single point of success of not only managing and adapting to the tempo of the person that you're trying to work with externally, like trying to recruit or sell something to, but now the tempo of your bosses which might not understand the tempo of the person you're engaging. So bosses are working on the one thing that's going to get them promoted, your success, but they want it now. And if you can't communicate effectively how these tempos are translating to their success and, and, and inspire your bosses to be patient, well, then that's also going to fall apart. I have never in my life, ever, I only, I've read countless books and taken courses and been mentored in inspiring the people working for me and with me. But I've never heard of the idea of inspiring up the chain, inspiring Absolutely. the person who are commanding or commanding or telling me what to do or giving me the assignment. That's brilliant. I, this, again, is a distinction I've never heard before. How in the world did you think this? How did you come up with this realization? Because it's utterly brilliant. Mm -hmm. More failure. Uh, <laughs> life's greatest lessons are rooted in uh, humbling moments. So most of the time when I brought my behavior team in to work on a, an assessment for a case agent who's on the street trying to accomplish a mission to protect the national security, very operationally focused. But that one person on the front line, and this is in whether you're recruiting spies or whether you're trying to sell your product and service, 
can't do so without the resources and support of bosses. And now bosses aren't going – so here's, here's, here's the crazy thing about life. Doing, doing proactive things and solving problems requires innovation 99% of the time. Standard operating procedures generally bring you to the, the point of departure. But once you go over that line, a lot of times you're, you deal with situations and new data coming in that it's going to require you to innovate. Innovation does not make people feel safe. And when your bosses are above you, the number one they think they want, they want to feel safe that you're not going to end their careers and not help them get promoted. So you have to be able to articulate to your bosses how my level of innovation is going to do something that makes them feel safe and helps them with whatever goals and objectives they have, whether that be mission or whether that be career. You have to approach this to with a level of curiosity without judging what their goals and objectives are because it might be misaligned. But if you want to be effective and serve and solve problems and pain points through innovation, you have to understand the entire spectrum. This is why it's art. <laughs> I love this word innovation. It's something a dear friend of mine, especially she does innovation work for Oracle. I've got to get her on the show. Uh, so let's talk about how this maps over to the people who you serve because these ideas are all blowing my mind. Uh, we only have this, uh, yeah. your time is precious, or I'd interview you for a couple hours. Let's talk about how these concepts map over to the people who serve. So talk about, first of all, the, you serve a broad range of people. Talk about that range of people and, and who you specifically serve. Yeah, um, everyone is a good way to put it. It's the most challenging question I have is, who's your ideal market? Now, I I'll t I can tell you who I have served and who routinely comes back. I deal a lot with finance industry, obviously. I say obviously because when you're dealing with relationships in finance and high finance and people's lives are on the line and, and you move beyond the transactional, just investing in one thing and I'm out, when you're dealing with, with financial industry, you're talking long-term investments, you're talking long-term relationships of trust. And so I deal a lot with that. Other thing, I mean, I deal a lot with obviously with the government and the military uh, still, when it comes to recruiting individuals uh, to garner information for policymaking decision makers, law enforcement chiefs and executives that are trying to manage keeping their morale high of their individuals while they're under assault from town councils and the public in general. Um, so managing those balances as well as, uh, boy, um, sales individuals, I mean, high-level salespeople that are trying to inspire their own sales forces to do what they need to do in a more effective way so they're client-focused. Uh, leadership, especially because once leaders understand exactly how they need to communicate to inspire trust, to make people feel safe, when their people feel safe, their people will be innovative to solve the problems, but they actually have to do the number one thing you need to do is have the courage to invest in failure because that will actually empower your people to take some risks and take some choices that are going to lead to not success sometimes, but when you when you budget for lack of success from time to time, it'll help people feel safe to actually innovate to move really further down the line. So some of the key words I'm hearing here are safe, innovate, trust. Mm. I want to talk about this word trust because I get one of the distinctions I've seen more and more being in the world of sales and training and coaching. It's one thing to get people to trust you, but nowadays people well, because they're so overloaded and unfocused and have so many options, no longer trust themselves to make a good decision. Hmm. So how do you engender trust, not just in you, but get that person who you're doing your persuasion or sales or mentorship to, to trust themselves? 
that I've never been asked that question. So that's, I know that's a great, that's a great thing I can I say. To podcast host. I told you it'd be an interesting interview. <laughs> There's nothing better to a podcast host than say, I've never been asked that question. I've never been asked that question. So I'm going to give you a really simple answer because I got to keep my 50 pound brain that I'm sorry, I don't have the 50 pound brain. So I, I keep things really simple. Great. To Because here's what I have to do for myself. I don't trust myself. I trust myself with you really, really well because I am completely objective for you. I can be 99% accurate for the you because I am what I can be for you as a loving critic. I can care deeply and compassionately about you and your success, but I'm not tied to your outcome. Since I'm not tied to your outcome, I can give you truth bombs and I can do so lovingly. To trust myself, I need, I need to make sure that if I'm going to make a major decision, I bounce it off a loving critic. Teachers, mentors, and guides in our lives that can be objective for us in critical times, they help us trust ourselves because having someone that actually is close enough that cares deeply about us to give us the truth we need to have and we have a relationship that we're not going to defend it or try to rationalize it so we don't push them away, it is really, really key and critical. Bless you. Excuse me. We leave everything in. We don't add it. Continue. Your yeah. I'm so sorry. Continue. So to trust yourself, I think you have to have a system and process in place in order to be able to trust yourself. And for me, my system and process is a loving critic. Because when I have a major decision that requires me to take a leap of faith, as people will say, or to do something that's innovative, innovation requires for me and most people a loving critic to be that person that can give the different optics and angles because they're not tied to your outcome. Like I, I get emotionally, all human beings are emotionally vested in what you're trying to do. If you're emotionally tied to the outcome that you're making a decision on, it might not be the best way you're deciding how to do it. This is why I meditate and I, I like to yes. do this, this of detachment. Not that you're not interested, but you're not attached to the point where you've got to have it happen. So 100%. we're going we're gonna to get personal. You don't have to answer, but you will answer me. Who's your loving critic? My wife. I, you know, I love to answer this question because invariably people who are super successful, I have a couple of mentors who I, I just adore. I could not have better people on my team. And I invariably say, could you be where you are today without your spouse? My niece, Vanessa Van Edwards. I don't know if you've heard of Vanessa. Have you heard of Vanessa? Yeah. Now you got to tell her to come on my show. I've asked her three times. <laughs> She's a busy woman. I love her. I'm We're seeing her. Vanessa, Vanessa's so busy. Yep. She'll yep. answer my text because I'm her favorite uncle. I haven't seen her in years. She's coming to LA to, to see the whole family. So I'm driving up there. I want to make sure she holds my book and I hold her book and we publicize. I absolutely will. When I see her in person, we'll and we share the same editor too, uh, Nikki Papadopoulos. We, so her captivate came out right before my, for uh, my sizing people up book. So yeah, we shame the same. Oh. So yeah, I I've been asked she's busy. And then I asked her when, right when she was pregnant and about to have another child. So if I'm going to, I yes. got to put another ass to have her on my show too. I love her work. She's good stuff. Yeah. She, well, she had that other bit. Anyway, all that <laughs> personal stuff aside, I said to Vanessa, could you, she's massively successful, as you know, yes. she could buy and sell me a million times. Not that much, but I said, Vanessa, could you 
be successful as you are without your spouse? She said, no way. Immediately, she's answered that. Every, now I'm single, so I'm up, yes, I'm up shit creek. <laughs> no, my loving critics are my team. Everyone on my team has a standing directive for me. If they think I'm being off base, they are ordered, not just encouraged. They're, it, I will bonus them, physically, actually give them money and bonus them. If they can say, Paul, you're off base, you're going wrong where you're thinking, here's a better direction to go. So I think it takes a lot of courage and to have the clarity, it takes a lot of courage to be open to that loving critic. So it speaks well, and, and I don't know how you teach people that courage. I don't know if, so when you work with, let me get back to your, now we haven't gone through your biography, I told you. <laughs> Yeah, and, so and I'll digress for one second too on that. So uh, Reed Hastings, there's a book called uh, No Rules Rules. It's a Netflix story, and it's about Reed Hastings and the culture he started in Netflix. And they have a one of the things, the principles that he ran Netflix by was transparency, where everyone was empowered to be that loving critic, hundred percent. So let's talk about something. So you teach transparency as as a key to communication, being transparent, open, honest. It's, and it, it does seem totally counter to the world of recruiting spies. You're not going to go to a spy and say, look, I know you'd be a great asset for our country. I'm going to use tradecraft on you. You know what tradecraft means because you know, Chase, I'm going to do tradecraft on you. So that seems to be, you're not going to be honest, open, and sincere with someone who you're running tradecraft on. So here I am. Huh? Here I am. Everything yeah. you just said is something that I would say. So Think about, so let, let's, let's do a thought experiment. I love Einstein and I, I love, you know, the thought experiments like this. And this is, so let's reverse the optic. So here you are, you are an intelligence officer that has a major issue in life that you require a solution for, because these people don't make a decision on a whim. Like all of a sudden I decide, you know what? I hate my boss. I'm going to betray my country and I'm going to try to get a million dollars for it. It doesn't work that way. Because these are major decisions that require a level of risk that is life-threatening for themselves, their family yep. members, and their yep. entire legacy generationally yep. impacted. Yep. And so it's not made on a whim. And so if you, in order to have a cooperation with someone like me, the first thing that has to happen is they have to identify this need. Then they have to identify who might have resources to solve that challenge and pain point in their life. And then even if they make that overture in some way that I might be interested, they got to do so without their own people recognizing it because otherwise they'll be locked up and interrogated and thrown the you'll be thrown away. And then the next thing is they do, they then next have to assess me. Am I someone they can trust right. with their life? And if I start that relationship using tradecraft against them, with deception, manipulation, subterfuge, or any sense of hooky spooky spy shit, they're walking out the door. I've seen it happen. You you use transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. I'm well, gonna you're not going to say, but hold on, I'm going to push back. I push back on my on my guests. This is something one else does, but I like to push back. Joe Rogan does it, but Joe's a pipsqueak. No, I would love to do the show. How uh, you're not going to again? You're not going to say to a potential asset i'm here to recruit you so you're not being transparent in that sense 
Because I don't recruit. I offer solutions to problems in their lives. And if right. they that's a nice semantic reframe, but you are recruiting them. Because that's what they need to hear. I communicate with people the way they need to be communicated with. If they want to use the word recruit, I'll use the word recruit. If they want but what we do, because that's the bottom line. And so I always go to the bottom line of what we're doing. What are we doing? We're going to have a relationship where we're solving each other's problems if we feel safe with each other. That's it. And that's every relationship in life. I didn't marry my wife because I was trying to recruit her, although it was a great recruitment operation. We solved the need for each other. I'm sharp. Now, I, I used to teach in present. Well, thank you. I used to teach seduction to lonely guys. I don't know if you know the Ross Jeffries persona. That ever, It's an open secret. And so we talk about recruitment in another sense. But you said it was a great recruitment. Is that what you said? Yeah. All right. No, I'm not going to get personal enough to say it. Yeah, I can. I tell that story all the time, too. Yeah. So I, go for it. So I, my wife and I went to the same, we were in the same class since middle school, since fifth grade on. We had the same group of friends, but we didn't hang out. She didn't like me. I, I wasn't really paying attention to her. I was just graduated from the Naval Academy about four or five years after I graduated. I'm from high school. We're at a mutual friend's house. And I was very single. She was dating someone else. I bumped into her at Christmas. And three months later, we were married. So you use tradecraft to get her to dump her boyfriend. I love it. I, 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 well, I was transparent. I said, it's either me or him because I'm not doing this. I don't play games. <laughs> wow. Wow. Love it. Love it. Okay. I know people are going to want to uh, stay in communication with you. What's some of the, what are the best ways to stay and continue the conversation with you? That's really easy. Start with my um, my website, peopleformula.com, all one word, peopleformula.com. My podcast is on there. I have ways to contact me on there. LinkedIn is a great way to follow me as well. Um, you can message me on LinkedIn. I, I'm I'm pretty out there. I got my YouTube channel. I got Twitter. I got Instagram. So if you Google me, you want to be in touch with me, it's pretty easy. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask you the question that I ask anyone who's been high ranked in the intelligence community. I asked Chase, I asked everyone, are you ready? Ready. Where are the aliens? <laughs> All around us. <laughs> no, seriously. Did you ever investigate uh, or hear anything about that? That uh, no. no? No, I wish. So uh, so here's here's my little anecdotes about, about uh, conspiracy theories. Before I came, so I came in the FBI in 1996, going to 97, right after the Marine Corps, right at, as TWA Flight 800 had just been uh, shot out of the sky or blew up out of the sky. I say shot out of the sky because I was a conspiracy theorist. I, I'm assigned to the New York field office. This is where they reassembled the entire Aircraft. 747. I actually walked through the center of that plane in the middle of the night while I was being guarded at Calverton uh, out at the hangars out there. And when I came in the FBI, I was I was one of these people. Was like, there's no way that that plane just blew up. We we accidentally shot it out of the sky. And then when you actually get inside the government, you see how loose-lipped everyone is. You see how people blab about everything, and you're like, there's no way if this was going on, someone wouldn't have leaked it. So I'm one of these guys that if if, if there's no way people keep secrets very well. It would have been leaked out. So if there's well, now there are people coming forward who are leaking stuff. You've seen. I don't want to get into UFOs, UFOs too heavily, but there are people coming forward saying, "Yes, there are programs." Um, all right. So this has been 
fantastic. I'll speak to you a little bit off the air because I made your promise. I'm going to make sure it happens immediately. So uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, fantastic episode. Keep tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're out. Hold on. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411321. That's COMPEL to 411321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack in sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.